Janelle Monet. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, I knew that already. Apparently not everyone was aware of this. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> Guys, did you not know this? Casey didn't know. Janelle Monet Can do whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. Because she'll always do a good fucking job. Like she did at the Oscars. Ha ha! We watched the Oscars. We did. Last night. We Statler and Waldorf the shit out of the Oscars. We only last watched night. about half of it, and then we we're like, we need to go home. It's late. But then I went home and then turned it back on just in time to see uh, the Best Picture award being awarded. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's how that works. That is and, how uh, awards work. Bruh, Parasite. They won. Oh, what? Yeah, they won. Oh, I actually, like, once we left the bar, I stopped giving any fucks. <laughs> the fucks I that mean, I had been giving. We should give a fuck about Parasite winning, though, because it was the first time a foreign language movie won Best Picture. Really? And, yeah, it was a South Korean Right, uh, no, but I movie. just, I didn't know that a foreign yeah. film never won 2020, before. very first time a foreign film won Best Picture at the Oscars. We're doing it, guys. Real progressive here. We're really doing it. Whatever. It's fine. Award shows are dumb. I mean, the fact that we watch the Oscars and not the Grammys is kind of telling about how I much I like we don't watching care. the Oscars sometimes, though. I, I like watching the beginning of the Oscars and then the end of the Oscars. <laughs> Everything in between, I don't give two fucking shits about. But the beginning and the end, I like looking at the pretty dresses. I like seeing like best actor, best actress. Best director, best picture, and everything in between can fuck off. I didn't watch any of the nominees for anything. Yeah, so... I wasn't really paying attention all that much. So. And the funny thing is, if we watch the Grammys, at least we'd kind of understand what's going on. I feel like when I watch the Oscars, I'm like, I'm just kind of making Honestly, fun of I it. kind of feel like I would know less about the Grammys. Damn. I don't know who half the people that show up to the Grammys are. Tool was there. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were doing the Fibonacci sequence like, as they in were their walking seats. up. <laughs> they only won because that's the only they were the only metal band that the Academy knew. Yeah, they're like, I've heard of this Tool band. I know. I'll, I'll nominate them. I know this, this works. Tool. I understand this. The kids are into this, right? The kids were into this like twenty years ago, dude. But it's fine. We'll we'll roll with it. But whatever. They just put out a new album, so yeah, sure. Give them a fucking sure, award. Sure. But Janelle Monet deserves more awards too. Though. Oh yeah, she does. Because oh, her man. opening performance was pretty amazing. It's fire! It's fire! Yeah. F I R E. I can spell. Yeah. It was I so think. Good. Uh, I think that's actually why we started giving a shit about the Oscars. They were like, "We know how to get Maggie and Ashley involved in this." Janelle Monae, and I'm like, "Shit! God damn it! They're right." But they are. <laughs> they are. We were into it. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that was our. That was our hot take on the Oscars. Welcome to Rock Candy. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad you got that? Yep. Your weekly podcast that actually will be bringing you sweet treats of stories and tales from the world of music, not movies, because we are not a movie podcast. Yeah. And we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. And I'm Ashley. And today we are not talking about movies. We're not at all. We're talking about music. Mm. And we are talking about a band that none of you have probably heard of. Yeah. Well, or very few of you have probably heard of. Yeah. But we also heard about this band through a movie. That is true. We did. Right? Yeah. We went this to- This is such inception. Because we went to see Mandy. Yes. And uh, the group that was presenting Mandy- Hold on. Also was presenting the documentary that I used for research. Was it Mandy, though, or was it Lords of Chaos? Oh, shit. I think it was Lords of Chaos. Oh, God. Yeah. It was Lords of Chaos. 
Ripperoni. Go back to our Lords of Chaos well, review if you want to hear what yeah. we think of that. By the way, guys, Lords of Chaos is now on Hulu. So if you want to see the absolute shit bomb of a movie. Shit bomb of a movie. Yeah, you can go and watch it on Hulu now. They can quote us on that. Lords of Chaos is a shit bomb, bomb of, of a movie. movie. Yep. It yeah. really is. It really is. But uh, this band that we're talking about, we teased it last week at oh, the yeah. end of our episode. Yeah, yeah. But this is a band that you probably haven't heard of and might make some people angry. Oh. Because I'm going to say it. These guys were punk before punk was punk. They're very punk. Yeah. This band is called Death. Death. And they're not what you would expect from a band called Death. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Death definitely sounds like a black metal band. There is a metal band called Death. But it's not as good as this Death. It's not the same. No, it's not the same thing, guys. But I'm not going to go super into it yet because... uh, That would be spoilers? It would be spoiling it. No spoilers. No spoilers. Don't spoil it. Speaking of being spoiled... We can go into our beer at least. Yeah, because it's actually really good. It's good beer. This week we are drinking Death by King Cake from Oscar Blues Bluey. <laughs> That's how I say it, guys. It is an ale with vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg, cacao nibs, orange peel, and pecans. And I just realized that it's supposed to be like a Mardi Gras thing. Yeah, if you don't know, King Cake is a... Mardi Gras thing in New Orleans, Louisiana, and it is a cake that they hide a baby in. Not a real <laughs> baby. <laughs> it is a little figurine <laughs> of a baby. This is where I got our um, Lord of Misrule cake from idea. Remember how we put a Reese's Peanut Butter uh-huh. Cup in it? Yeah. So you put a little fake plastic baby in the cake, and whoever cuts the piece with the baby, you would think is going to get pregnant. They're not. They just owe the next king cake next year. Unless my coworker who's from Louisiana lied to me <laughs> because she didn't want me to get upset about being afraid of getting pregnant. But either way, pergernant. Pergannon aunt. Pergannon aunt. But yes, it's it's actually, it's a tasty little cake. I like it. Yeah. It's yummy. I really enjoyed it. And it's fun. It's a fun little get together with your friends and eat king cake. We don't have that. We don't get that kind of fun. No, we don't in get upstate fun like New that. York in, in the Northeast. We have to be cold and angry and bitter. Yeah, we have to make our own fun, which is honestly just—it's just drinking. It's laborious. It is. Lab- <laughs> it is laborious. But this beer is quite tasty, it's and good. it was really funny how we ended up with it because I just saw it posted by one of our favorite bars, Elixir uh. Sixteen in Troy. You around here? Go check it out. It is a great bar. But I saw them post it to their Instagram, and I said, oh, I really want to drink this. And I showed this to Ashley. And I'm like, let's go. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) she's like, wait a minute. This is a great beer for tomorrow. So we stayed up way too late drinking beers, watching the Oscars, and getting beer for today. So we were slightly productive. I think it was productive. Yeah. A lot of shenanigans surrounding one productive act. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's usually what happens. That's pretty much how most of our nights go. Anyway, so that's the deal on the beer. If you guys see it, I would highly suggest picking it up. It's not even as like, it sounds like it's a lot of bullshit, but it doesn't taste like a lot of bullshit. So pick it up, drink it, and now... And fucking like it. Fucking like it. And you will like it. You don't have to be forced. Yeah, we're not going to threaten you. Twist my arm. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the band, the myth, the legend, 
Band called Death. Band called Death. And on that note, I suppose I should reference my reference for sources for my sources yes show me the receipts my receipts are a documentary called a band called death yes which i did want to see and i still haven't seen yet because now i'm like well i should wait for our episode well i got a amazon prime channel like (sighs) seven day free trial so (laughs) you can watch it but it's it's worth getting the free trial it's a really good documentary and the boys in this band are delightful yay they're the kind of people that laugh after every single sentence and just like everything is great and funny and they just make the the best out of like any horrible situation because they're just constantly laughing they're just delightful people. So they're people you want to be friends with. Exactly. Like, I would really like to go find them and just hang out with them because Aww. they seem like delightful people. Well, but, I'm already excited because you know how I feel about um, when we talk about good people. Yeah, they're they're s- super good people. They're Heartwarming. Good. It is. Good. But anyway, let's get into it. Let's do it. So, if I told you that punk was invented by three black men in Detroit, Michigan... You'd probably swear up and down that I was wrong. You're crazy. Bitch, you crazy. No. But I'm not. The Sex Pistols. Oh, fuck the Sex Pistols. Ooh, we just lost seven listeners. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm here to tell you that punk was not invented by the Ramones in New York or the Clash in London, nor was it honed in the dark corners of CBGBs. Before any of that existed, there was death. A little-known band made up of three young black men from Detroit, Michigan. Yes! The story of death is the story of a band that was truly way ahead of their time. They preceded punk as we know it by at least a couple years. But because of geography and a hefty dose of racism, death were unfairly relegated to obscurity without getting the recognition that they deserve. Hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. That's a recipe for disaster. Racism? No. America? Nah. Yeah. Death begins with the Hackney Brothers. David, born in 1953, and his two younger brothers, Dennis, born in 1955, and Bobby, the youngest, born in 1957. Dennis? Dennis. D-A-N-N-I-S. Like, Dan is. Dennis. Yeah. Okay. The Hackneys grew up with their eldest brother, Earl Jr., on the east side of Detroit when Motown, Soul, and Funk ruled the airwaves. Rock and roll wasn't exactly popular amongst their peers and elders, but the Hackneys were a little bit different. Just a little bit. A little bit. Just enough different. Mr. and Mrs. Hackney were legit. They allowed the boys to listen to any type of music they could get their hands on. Nice! The family were always listening to music, usually pumping out of a small radio in their kitchen. Every day before going to school, their mother would turn the radio on while they eat breakfast. They heard everything from Earth, Wind, and Fire to The Who blasting out of its tiny speakers, and they loved it all. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. The heck? I, f- what? I feel like that's really, like, come back around now. Because that's, like, yeah. really what I do nowadays. Like, if I'm just cleaning my house or some mornings if I'm just having a cup of coffee, I'll just turn on my, my robot spy Google Home and be like, hey, play this thing. And it's like... Okay, here you go. Here's Spotify. And I'm like, yay, look at that. Yeah, my... Um, I feel like we lost that for a really long time because of cable TV. My go-to Amazon music playlist is just a fucking mishmash of everything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
If we had children, we'd be good parents. But we're not going <laughs> to have children. So we're not good parents. We're good dog parents. Our dogs think, listen to great music. I think we're fantastic dog parents. So the Hackneys encourage their children to explore all kinds of music and enjoy every minute of it. To them, all music was valuable, from R&B to hard rock. Nice. A huge musical awakening happened for the boys when their father sat them down on February 7th, 1964, to watch the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh, here we go. The Beatles were making their American debut that evening, and like many Americans, Bobby in particular was captivated. Watching Paul McCartney play made him realize he really wanted to learn the bass. Paul McCartney looked pretty cool playing the bass. They all kind of look pretty cool on the Ed Sullivan Show, but everybody looks good in black and white. Yeah, you're right, though. Best filter on Instagram. It is. God, we that, look good in black and white. What is it? That inkwell? Yeah. Oh, inkwell? And, Moon, and Moon's moon. not bad when you Moon's want those soft. Good. You want that soft black and white. But if you want those deep charcoal tones, you go with inkwell. Oh, definitely. We have a big Instagram presence, guys. <laughs> we have a mediocre Instagram presence, guys. We suck at social media, guys. We really do. You know who looks good in Moon, though? The Beatles. The Beatles they were definitely did. in a nice Moon filter yeah, there. they should change that to just Ed Sullivan. Oh, my That's God. That's the Ed, Ed Sullivan, Sullivan filter. <laughs> but it was David that rallied to get his brothers to start a band with him. The only problem was they didn't have any instruments. Well, that's... That's a roadblock. But also, like, every kid when they were younger, like, started a band when none of them could play any instruments. Yeah, if we've learned anything on this podcast. I definitely did that when I was in, like, eighth grade. Same. And everybody wanted to be the lead singer, but it's like, you can't sing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, you can't play drums. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what's easier to learn? Drums than singing. (laughs) If you can't sing, you can't sing. (laughs) You're just fucked. The best they could do at the time was a random guitar that David found abandoned in an alley, which he promptly took home and learned to play. (laughs) Fortuitously, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, the Hackney's mother was in a car accident and received a hefty settlement from it. With the settlement money, she very much defined cool mom and brought her sons to the music store and let them go ham. I'm a cool mom. I'm going to let my sons I'm not sons like regular moms. <laughs> I'm going to let my sons buy whatever instrument they want. I let my sons go hard as a motherfucker. <laughs> they can practice any time of day. But like she, that's a legit cool mom. Yeah, she bought them everything they needed to start their own band. Oh. So now all three of them were learning instruments. David on guitar, Bobby on bass, and Dennis on drums. David, in particular, really took to his instrument, practicing constantly and getting really good at playing lead. Before long, the boys started a real band. They called themselves Rock Fire Funk Express. Which is the best. <laughs> oh my, that is the name of, like, three ten-year-old boys. I feel like it's it's got to be the name of some kind of, like... I don't know, abandoned Fraggle Rock or something. Rock <laughs> Fire, Fire Funk, Funk Express. Express. It's very Muppets. Oh, very the Muppets. Rock Fire Funk Express. Or like something out of Emmett Otter or something. Oh no, we're gonna have to play against the Rock Fire Funk Express. Way, way harder, hard, more hardcore than the uh, River Bottom Nightmare Band. Are you sure this isn't a story about the Electric Mayhem? <laughs> it might be. It might be though. It could be. Are we just listening to Muppets? Guys, spoilers. This turns into the Muppets. 
No, it doesn't. Oh. Sorry. But death should be on the Muppets. Oh, if only. If only. They were the Rockfire Funk Express, and they played mostly funk and soul with a rock edge. While they were interested in rock and, rock and roll, the music they played was still heavily influenced by where they lived. Their neighborhood was predominantly black, and most people there listened to this type of music. Rock and roll wasn't really of interest to most black communities in Detroit. It was funk and soul that really spoke to them. Makes sense. It's Detroit. It's the home of Motown. That's oh, what everybody yeah, listens it to. Is. Mm. All of that changed in April 1973. Dennis and his mom were at the Kobo Arena in Detroit watching an Alice Cooper show. Wow. She brought her son cool. to an Alice Cooper show. She is a cool fuck mom. She is capital T, the cool mom. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And Mrs. Hackney blew Alice Cooper off as some kind of crazy person. That's fair. But Dennis was captivated. He went home and told his brothers about the show and how great this hard rock thing was, but they weren't feeling it. Oh. Dennis would have the last laugh, though. A few months later, David went to see The Who on their Quadrophenia tour and was equally blown away. After that, he was convinced the brothers had to go in a hard rock direction. Okay, so I'm coming, I'm coming back on your whole thing about hard rock. Maybe it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I might have been wrong. Yeah. And hard rock might be great, and we might, we might need to try this. And David was really into Pete Townsend and the way Pete Townsend played. So, Him and every other boy growing yeah. up in the 60s and 70s. Basically. Yeah. And girl. I shouldn't, I shouldn't presume gender. Indeed. Space was at a premium in the Hackney household, with six people living in one small house. Woof. But the brothers convinced their parents to let them convert their tiny bedroom into a practice space. Wait, did they share one bedroom? I think they did. Oh. And it was a very tiny bedroom. It was, if it wasn't the three of them, it was at least two of them sharing one bedroom. Whoa. They packed it with drums, guitars, amps, speakers, and recording equipment. There wasn't even any space left for beds. They just, they can sleep on the floor. It's Fuck it. fine. They're kids. They're fine. They don't have back problems. They don't. They'll bounce right back from this. Exactly. <laughs> but they made it work. Every day between 3 and 6 p.m., they would practice. That was nice. their time to play, and at exactly 6 p.m., everything was turned off. Wow. They didn't want to piss off the neighbors by playing late, especially because they were already kind of angry about the raucous in general. Sounds like you're cool parents. I don't like that. <laughs> Looks like you let your kids explore who they are? That's weird. I don't like that. We have a very clearly defined idea of what young men should be, and you're not doing it. Mm. You're not upholding that. Mm. Why are you not upholding my strict family <laughs> Christian values? How dare you? What is this rock and roll <laughs> rubbish? <laughs> rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> You know, people in town definitely noticed them. Like I said before, they lived in a predominantly black neighborhood that favored Motown. Yeah. Their friends, family, and neighbors did not understand why they wanted to play rock and roll, or as they called it, white boy music. Yeah. Why couldn't they just be nice black boys and play R&B? Huh. So it was kind of a reverse racism thing that they were still experiencing. Like, they were still, like, on the receiving end of in a weird way from their neighbors instead of 
white people saying, you're black, you should be playing R&B. They were getting flack from their black neighbors saying, you're black, black you, you should, should be, be playing, playing R&B. R&B. It's very strange. It is really strange. But they just didn't want to play R&B. Rock right. was in their souls. That's what they wanted to play. And no one was going to convince them otherwise. They almost continued playing rock out of spite because it pissed everyone off so much. I mean, now they're hitting them teenage years. Yeah. And like, I'm going to piss you off now. Yeah. You're pissing me off. I'm going to piss you off. There you go. Despite the naysayers, they started getting fans. Their friends knew they practiced every day from three to six, and people started showing up for their practices. Aww. From these practice sessions, songs started to form. One called Keep On Knockin' was inspired by people showing up for practices. They would stand outside the door knocking to get in and hang out with the band, but space was limited, so it was almost like it became a super exclusive club. Oh my god, that's great! And I think now's a good time to play some snippets. Yeah. Here's an example of Keep On Knocking. So Keep On Knockin' is a really good tune. That's a jam. Um, It's not as punk as their other songs are, but... Yeah, there's definitely a more hard rock, almost bluesy but they sound were, to it. But they were definitely playing faster oh, than most rock bands did. Definitely. They're, the That was what was making them unique, was how fast they were playing. Yeah, they were playing kind of frantically if they slowed that down it would definitely have that hard rock blues mm-hmm. feel for sure yeah very kind of like that classic rock yeah kind of eric sound. clapton-y i don't know yeah ish kind of cream who yep that kind of sound for yep. sure so exactly. yeah you could definitely see their influences yeah in what they were playing with several songs in their repertoire they started playing small house parties around detroit's east side This is when their sound started morphing from straight rock and roll to something no one's really ever heard of, especially in Michigan. Oh, no. They played faster and more frantically with no soaring vocals, but vocals that were more spoken word or barked into the mic. Okay. All of the hallmarks of punk rock are in death's music. Mm. But the odd thing is they created the sound completely independently of New York or London. And they started playing this in, like, 1971. Mm-hmm. It's, so, like, really on the precipice of it. Yeah. So, really, you could say that Death was one of, if not the first punk band. Yeah. These guys were out on their own. They didn't have any up-and-coming punk bands to be influenced by. And, really, like, the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex Pistols, like, the Sex Pistols didn't come around until, like, 1974. Right. So these guys were making this music and in honestly, 1971. The Clash wasn't really sounding the way they ended up really sounding until yeah. closer to the late 70s, early 80s. Right. And they were heavily influenced by Bad Brains. Right. And which was a DC punk band. But I think the thing to really drive home here is this is the 70s. It is not like it is today. Right. You aren't going to hear music like punk on the radio. Right. You're just not. So. Yeah. Even if they're doing it at the same time, 
I think they are doing it independently of this movement coming out in New York yeah, and London. Because even if like bands like the Ramones were in New York or in that area and doing their thing, they were probably doing it around this time, but nobody knew who the fuck they were. Right. They were probably still playing house parties, too. So they weren't playing CBGBs and stuff like that. No. That wasn't a thing. And whatever they were doing, it wasn't getting back to the Hackneys in Detroit. No. Most of the punk movement, I feel like, did start with house parties. Mm Mm-hmm. With just going to somebody's house, like, hey, I got a band. Hey, come over and play on Saturday because I'm having a party. Right. And that was just how you got your name out there. Yeah. It wasn't in clubs. Mm-hmm. It was parties. It was still very early. The 60s and 70s, it wasn't, unless you were in a big city like New York or London, you weren't really playing clubs. Yeah, you weren't getting <laughs> that shit in your ears in a Midwest state. No. Just as they were starting their journey into proto-punk, tragedy struck. Their father, Earl Sr., was an electrician by trade. Mm. One day in 1973, Earl Sr. was working on power lines with a trainee who, being a newbie, did something stupid like shove a screwdriver into a live wire or something. The trainee electrocuted himself and the jolt catapulted him off the pole. Earl Sr. rushed him to the hospital past a busy bar where people were leaving. A drunk driver pulled out of the bar parking lot right in front of Earl Sr. He didn't even have time to react and he slammed right into the drunk driver's car and Earl Sr. died instantly. Oh my god! That's just a fucked up sandwich right there! Yeah, like he's trying to fucking help somebody. Right? And this asshole drunk driver kills him. Oh my god! Cool! Like that's... He's already dealing with a lot, but then cool. A drunk driver's like, you know what though? I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna jump my truck. That's fine. His death had a huge impact on the family and especially mm-hmm. on David. David's personality changed quite dramatically after this. Mm. He started getting really deep into spirituality, not really God or Christianity per se, but more like the afterlife and spiritual philosophy. Interesting. So they were Christian. But it was more like the metaphysical stuff and not really like God in general or anything like that. Hmm. Interesting. He kind of became obsessed with death after his dad died. That's... He was still a teenager? I think he was in his early 20s at this point. It's still young. Yeah. This prompted David, who was arguably the leader and driving force behind the band, to change their name from Rockfire Funk Express... (laughs) Wait, no, but it's such a good name. It's so catchy. No, you'll stop. never, you'll don't never forget it. it. No, please stop. don't change it. Oh, no. What could you ever come up with that is as catchy as Rock Fire Funk Express? I well, can't even remember anymore. They came up with simply death. Huh. You know what? I like it. Yeah. But at the time, it was a hard sell. Not just to their fans, but to Bobby and Dennis themselves. Huh. When they asked David, why death? He responded, because death is real. Which is fucking... Damn. But that's deep. It's real deep. No. It's like, a deep cut. That is a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those simplistic, obvious statements that someone says, and you're like, whoa. But he's right. Yeah. 
Shit, that's got layers. Yeah. It's a fucking onion. Onion of a truth there. That is an onion of a band name. He wanted to change people's perception of death and turn something negative into a positive through their music. Hmm. It's a good good reason. No, I like it. In the spring of 1974, they officially changed their name to Death. They had the songs. They had the controversial name. Now they wanted a record contract. While that would seem a bit more complicated than anticipated, Death kind of struck gold on the first try. What? David took the yellow pages, back when we still had phone books. Phone what? Books. You know, the things with the paper. Right. And but uh, you do, op- are there open pictures them and of there's words. Them? What? Phone book? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I know what the yellow pages are. Mm. I actually still get a phone book. <gasps> really? Yes. I don't. I, they have actually they didn't send me one this year I think I think they finally got the fucking hint I think it's done yeah it's over it should be because fuck we have the internet and have since 30 years ago anyway so he took out the yellow pages he ripped out the pages with record labels on it stuck them to the wall and threw a dart at them what whichever label the dart landed on that's who would they that's who they would call first the dart Nailed a publishing company called Groovesville Productions. All right. So that's where they went. They auditioned for Brian Spears, second in charge at Groovesville, who absolutely loved them. They were signed after auditioning a couple times, and they went right into the studio to record as many songs as they could. Nice. That doesn't happen. It never happens. I'm telling you, it's just luck a lot of times. It didn't last very long. Oh, no. Anyway. They I were... mean, not that I'm saying they're not super talented, because they are. Yeah, they are. They had the talent to back up the luck. And they recorded a handful of songs, including this one, called Rock and Roll Victim. So arguably pretty fucking punk at this point. That's it's like quintessential lo-fi punk recording right there. Capital P punk. Yeah. Capital exclamation point punk. (laughs) Everyone at Groovesville was impressed by Death's enthusiasm, except for the CEO, Don Davis. Fucking Don. Fucking Don. Of course, Don's not impressed. Oh, what do we got to do to fucking impress Don? Fucking jerk him off. Fuck you, Don. Don hasn't been impressed since his wife jerked him off that one time. The one time. (laughs) The one time his wife gave him a handy. He was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) And he hasn't been jerked off since. Or impressed since. Because he hasn't been jerked off. Yo, Don's wife, Mrs. Don, can you get on that, though? Oh, he's dead. (laughs) He's long dead, Maggie. (laughs) Don's wife, don't. Don't do it. He doesn't need it. I don't know. What about, like, you know, the afterlife and shit? Uh, Maybe if they're both dead, sure. 
Jerk him off. Okay. Maybe maybe he'll get you guys into heaven. It'll be you... great. <laughs> Jerk offs. That's what gets you into heaven. Uh, anyway, he didn't like the music, and he was really put off by the band's name. Still, with Brian Spears pressuring him really hard. <laughs> Come on, Don. Do it. I'll give you a handy if you do it. He never gave him that he handy. He never gave him the fucking handy. But anyway, Don agreed to try and find a record label for them. Yay. Unfortunately, most people were on Don's side. No one would touch them. The only person that showed any interest, coincidentally, was Clive Davis of Arista Records. <gasps> he offered to sign the band, but he had one stipulation. They had to change their name. Nope. And we will find out what their response is after this commercial break. We'll be right back. Hmm. Hey, we're back. Welcome back. You know, honestly, more than anything, we need those breaks to pee. Yeah, exactly. It it just, I feel so good afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) So empty bladdered. Yes, it's hard work holding it in while you're talking. So. It is, though. It's a lot to focus on. <laughs> yes, it is. So anyway, yes. where we left off is uh, Clive Davis wanted the band to change their name so they would sign with Arista Records. David flat out told Clive Davis to go to hell. Good. Yeah, the name of the band was extremely important to him, so he was insulted by the demand to change it. It was directly connected to their father, and how dare he give them that ultimatum? And I just, I, it's just the word death. That yeah. it is the seventies, but it's just the word death. Yeah, it's, it's just a like, fucking word. It's not like they call them like ball lickers or something. Not cocksuckers, right? Yeah, it's fine. They're not <laughs> kitty diddlers. They're not anything oh, like that. God, I hope they're not. So, it could be a lot worse, Clive. Right, Clive? Like, yeah, you did a really good job with Whitney, but maybe, like, stick to the realms you know. Yeah. Anyway, they refused the contract, and that was effectively the end of any prospects for a major record deal the man would have. Mm. Bobby and Dennis supported David in his decision, but in private they tore him a new one. David stood his ground. In his mind, if you allowed the record company to control your name... You gave them control over everything, and he didn't want that. He's right. He's not wrong. He is 100% right. If he goes in and says, nah, you're not going to change our name, they know they're not going to be able to influence you to write the music the way they want. And for, again, as much good as Clive Davis has done for artists like Whitney Houston, he is not going to do death any favors. Like He's not going to do a punk band favors. 100% sacrifice quality for... Like, like he tried to turn them. them into a pop band. And they weren't... He'd try to turn them into R&B and yeah, Motown. Absolutely. And that's not what they want. Right. So really, they're still fucking hella punk. Yeah, because they refused a major label contract and refused to change. Good for them. That's fucking punk. Yeah, that's fucking punk. <laughs> punk as fuck. While the next day Brian Spears told them that Groovesville was no longer going to work with them, they did have some sort of luck. The boys asked for the master tapes from their recording sessions, and Brian agreed to give them back. Nice. And that was virtually unheard of. Usually, the record company or the publishing company is like, nah, these are ours now. Yeah, but why are they going to do with them? Right. Just give them to them. If you have no interest and you think that this is a band that's never going to make it anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, if you're not going to work with them anymore, then why would you keep them? Yeah. 
gets the tapes back. From those master tapes, Death pressed 500 singles by themselves, not just to sell, but to send to radio stations. Nice. Basically, they were doing their own promotion now. Radio would play their music sporadically, but nothing ever caught on. Mm. The radio DJs were put off by the band's name, so again, they were a tough sell. I f- it's so funny, because nowadays, a band name like Death is nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Oh, your name's Death? That's cute. I mean, there's some pretty fucked up names out there. Yeah. Cattle decapitation comes to mind. Mm. That's a good one. But like, yeah, that's... Remember how popular Orgy was? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They did that Blue Monday cover. Honestly, still a good cover. It's a good cover. But also, their name was Orgy. It was Orgy, but also they were cheesy as fuck. But also, like... They all looked like Frankenstein. It was hilarious. Can we talk about Limp Bizkit? (laughs) Because that's a bad, that's just a bad name. And hot dog flavored chocolate starfish in the hot, hot dog, dog flavored water. water. And everyone was like, oh. Yeah. Once they figured Realized out what, what it was. Means. Yep. But you had to explain it to them. Oh, yeah, you did. So I'm pretty sure a band name like Death. It's fine. Small beans. Small beans. Small beans, guys. <laughs> Not even medium beans. They're small. Small beans. Little baby beans. They were pretty down and out at this point. They were broke and didn't have a record contract, and morale was low. They had to sell their equipment just so they could pay rent. Oh, Which sucks. Yeah. Family came to the rescue in the form of an uncle offering them an extended vacation in New England. Ooh, New England. New England. Ooh. Cape Cod. <laughs> Lighthouses. Vacation on the cave. It was an opportunity to get away, clear their heads, and move on from the disastrous record contract debacle. That's fair. They had nothing left in Detroit, so they went. And they stayed with their uncle in Burlington, Vermont, for the summer of 1977. But hold up. Burlington fucking kicks. It does now. Oh. Let me let me tell you something. Yo, let me. T- why don't you tell me about Vermont in the seventies, though? <laughs> Burlington was a progressive town with a sizable hippie culture, so they thought maybe Burlington would be more receptive to the kind of music they were making. That's legit. When they first arrived, David went to downtown Burlington and put up five hundred flyers with a black triangle and the word "death" printed on them. Ooh, ominous. Yeah, and no other explanation at all. The boys found out very quickly that Burlington wasn't exactly the epicenter of progressive culture they thought it was. Hours after David put up the posters, a police officer arrived at their house. Oh no. Having mistaken the posters for a cult-related death threat, they told the Hackneys that this is a peaceful town. We don't have gangs here. And gang behavior would not be tolerated. Because, you know, they're black, so of course they're in a gang. Oh... Burlington, you've disappointed me. But also, Burlington is still extremely white. Yeah, it is. You're right. And as like, I'm not proud as, of how much I like Burlington. I honestly love Burlington, but also Burlington is exceptionally white. Like, fucking white bread. Yeah, it's the most milk toast place I've ever been. It really is. But it's kind of great. But also, yeah, it's it's. I would say that now it's far more welcoming to people of different races, uh, but at least back then, fucking white. Yeah, fucking white. So, again, this was a huge blow. 
Having experienced rejection after rejection from everyone in Detroit to the police in Burlington, all their enthusiasm for the band disintegrated. They felt that no one was going to see beyond the band's name or beyond their skin tone. Which is stupid. They're both so dumb. These are both so dumb. Yeah. And we can scream about how fucking dumb they are till we're blue in the face, but... It doesn't change it. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I feel like at least if they were in the DC punk scene or the New York City punk or scene... something. They would get a little bit more notoriety. Yeah. Death finally broke up in 1977. Oh. Shortly after moving to Burlington. Hmm. Despite the rejection and racism that they experienced in Vermont, they decided to stay in Burlington. And they also started... Because Burlington's fun! It is fun. <laughs> Even though it's real white. Even though it's extremely fucking white. <sighs> but anyway, they started a new band. This band, called The Fourth Movement, was similar to Death. However, it was more traditionally rock and roll and had an unmistakable spiritual bend to it. Interesting. But still, still, they faced criticism. <sighs> this time, people liked the music, but didn't like the overt references to Christ. <laughs> Honestly, I don't either. I don't either, but here's the thing. I imagine that the people who didn't like that they were called death would be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Cool. Like, like literally the complete opposite of death is Jesus. So what you're saying is so, they needed that middle ground. Yeah. They, it was one extreme or the other, honestly. That's fair. But it seemed like no matter what they did, there was always an element of subversive racism in the audience's reactions. Huh. What? No way. <laughs> no. What? In America? Nah. They released two albums under the fourth movement, but David took the rejection really hard. He was fed up with everything and wanted to go back to Detroit. Mm. Bobby and Dennis didn't want to pack up and leave, though. They planted roots in Vermont, they were starting families, and they wanted to stay. Aww. So David, who is now married, went back to Detroit with his wife in 1982. Bobby and Dennis didn't give up on him. They continued playing as death back in Vermont, hoping David would come back someday. Aww. When they finally accepted that David wasn't coming back, they fully abandoned death. Mm. They moved on to form a new band called Lamb's Bread, a heavily reggae-influenced band that finally got a response from people in Vermont. Because of course reggae would. White people are weird. Fucking weird. Like, we oddly love reggae yeah what re- makes me really uncomfortable is when white people are like i'm gonna speak with the jamaican patois and i'm like <laughs> and i'm no. gonna get dreads no, no stop, stop it <laughs> stop like i'm sorry you you're don't not get okay. to have dreads you're not okay with three men of color playing punk music but you're like, oh, but they can play reggae and then i can go and dance to it you know what i bet if they were a ska band they wouldn't have had all these problems so much. Also, like, ska is just the happiest music, and it brings people together. It's No, it doesn't, Maggie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> pretty sure that's how ska music I'm works. I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> uh, I've definitely been in some real friendly mosh pits at ska shows. Ska shows don't have mosh pits, Maggie. Well, they have skank pits. <laughs> I know what you mean but also feel like there's a dig in there (laughs) you are correct (laughs) look ska's the only music i can properly dance to and you know it i 
I skate I so under- good. Yeah, I understand you have to defend Scott to the death because it's the only thing you can dance to. <laughs> It's the only thing you can point your fingers to the sky. And everyone's like, yeah, do that. She's doing a good job over there. She's dancing like a Muppet. This is how you're supposed to dance to ska music. She looks like she should be in Fraggle Rock. You should have been in death. I should have been in death. I would have been their hype woman. 100%. Yeah. That, like, that guy in mighty mighty boss i would just like stand in the crib go come on pick it up pick it up pick it up (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah no i missed my calling and do i also wasn't play your air trumpet yeah i also wasn't born in time for my calling reincarnation happened a few years too late for me So Lamb's Bread did very well for itself. People loved the music and they were getting steady gigs and positive responses. All right. For the first fucking time ever. I'll take it. While Bobby and Dennis were prospering and happy in Vermont, David was jealous and resentful back in Detroit. I mean, that's like, okay, fair. But also, dude, just go over there. They're going to fucking yeah. say, yeah, yeah, come on, let's just do it. Or just start something else. Yeah. So he had no job, no brothers, and no band. He did continue making music under the name Rough Francis, which by all means is really good, Hmm. but it wasn't the same as a solo act. You mean it wasn't the same as being in a band? The solo act wasn't the same as being in a band. Yes, that is what I'm saying. And David started going downhill. Hmm. He became a severe alcoholic and felt abandoned by his brothers And it was brought up in the documentary that he was possibly suicidal. It seemed as though he was now a genius without an outlet. So what are you supposed to do with yourself then? You know, the most depressed and suicidal people are generally the smartest. Yes. You think too much. And he was the one who got really into death. He was the driving force 100% behind. Oh, I just meant the concept of death. But like, that's what I mean. Like, he had this whole entire concept around the band that he was super into and really tried to drive home like this wasn't just like some fun band that then they were making whatever music right he had this whole idea whole concept surrounding death that their father and their father and spirituality and like it was deep of course it ran fucking deep and when everyone was just like, no, this is stupid, he was kind of like, uh, okay, so you're basically saying my entire existence is stupid. Right. Because he had just hit this level of, I don't want to say enlightenment, but just this level of maybe intelligence. Not to say that his brothers aren't intelligent, but sometimes when you go through life experiences, just everybody reacts to them differently. It's hard when you're like going through something and you're almost hitting this enlightenment and seeing things in a different way. And the people who went through the same experience as you aren't seeing it that way. And you kind of look at them and say, but why aren't you having the same reaction as me? Yeah. So that must've been frustrating in and of itself. Yeah. I think his brain operated on more of a philosophical level. Definitely. Than other people's. And when people failed to understand the complexity of his thoughts, I just couldn't relate to him. I'm very sure that he is someone whose brain never stops. Yeah. He probably has to be on something to shut his brain up at night. Yeah. And that's all Tino Shade, like, 
plenty of people have to be on some stuff to shut their brain up sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. But this led to a noticeable decline in his health. Mm. He was frail and haggard, and his family was very worried, but he insisted he was fine. He was acting weird at Danis's wedding in 2000, insisting his brothers take the master tapes Death got back from Groovesville, saying one day people are going to come looking for these and I know you'll take care of them. Mm. It was as if he knew something bad was going to happen to him and he was giving away his prized possessions before it happened. Yep. yep. And something bad did indeed happen only a few months after Danis's wedding. After a long battle with lung cancer, David passed away. Oh. He didn't tell anyone he had cancer. So his death was a big surprise to everybody. Did he know? He knew. He absolutely knew that he was sick. That's why he was giving stuff away and like telling them to take the master tapes because he knew he was going to die. Oh, my God. The whole time he was just insisting he was fine because he didn't want anybody to worry about him. He And he didn't want anybody to do anything. So like, I get I have it. So many mixed feelings on this. I get it. Like you. If you're the kind of person that David was. Right. You don't want to make a big deal out of something like that. You just want everybody to act normally. And when you go, you go. But also at the same time, he was always so big into the concept of death. But maybe this was part of his philosophy about it. Maybe it was. You're right. Because my thought process is just like, if you know you're going to die, I feel like, you know, then like be open about it so you can talk to people about it. But that also makes you face it when you really don't want to. But if he's... Where he's saying he is and so spiritual about but yeah. spiritual about but, death, I, I would imagine you would be able to talk about it. But maybe this was his way of putting the positive spin on death, which is what he wanted to do with the band. Mm. By just acting like everything's fucking normal and living your life the way you've always lived it and not thinking about your impending death. Yeah. Maybe that was his way of putting his positive spin on it. Okay, yeah. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. I honestly don't know, but that's kind of what I figured. Yeah. For for a reason why he didn't tell anybody. Right. Was he married and he had kids? He was married. I don't think he had any kids. Like did his wife know? I don't know. And his they talk- brothers definitely didn't. They did. They knew something was up, but they didn't know it was that bad. Jesus, she must have known, right? But they talked to her in the documentary, and she didn't say whether she knew or not. I think I have a feeling she probably did, and he was just like, "Don't tell anybody." Yeah. Wow. And living so far away from each other, it, it was pretty probably pretty easy to keep yeah. it yeah away from them. And so. this is back in like what the eighties, so it's not like you had Skype and you. No, could this see was each in two thousand. Oh, okay. But you still didn't have things like... We didn't even have smartphones. No. So, so. it's not like they could look at them when he, him when they talked to him. Right. So if he talked to them on the phone and kept up with them and write them, wrote them letters, even emails at this point, yeah, you're not seeing what he looks like. Right. So it's easy to put on this face of, hey, everything's fine. Right. That's why they were so surprised at Danis's wedding because they were like, he looks way too skinny. Wow. And like super frail and haggard. Like, And they, I think they knew he was an alcoholic. So they probably attributed a lot of his looks to that also. Jesus, that's crazy. He He must have been really young. Yeah, if he was born in 53, I think. He died in 2000. 2000. He wasn't even 50. Yeah. That's fucking so young. Yeah. From lung cancer? Yeah. Jesus. With David's death, Bobby and Dennis assumed the band death died with him. 
but they were quite wrong. Things were only just beginning for them. Unbeknownst to them, their name was gaining traction in the underground punk scene. A few people discovered their politicians in my eyes, seven inch, the one that they made after getting the boot from Groovesville and slowly started introducing others to it. Before you knew it, that seven inch became a hot collector's item and it was selling on eBay for 800 bucks. And you know, here's the thing about that song too, is it's, that is the most fucking punk ass song. Yes. That is like, you listen to that and you're like, these are a fucking punk band. Maybe we should play a little bit of a snippet of it. Yeah. Well, don't you guys well, we should do that. Oh, well, we're going to do that. That's a, that is the fucking most punk ass song. And it's crazy because it still 100% holds up today. Yeah. You could release that song from any punk band today and have it be relevant. It's super relevant because that was the first song of theirs that I listened to. And you said you're going to do death. And I thought, okay, well, I need to listen to some of their music. And I listened to that and I was like, oh, was this a song written three weeks ago? (laughs) Because it could have been. Could have been. And that's, it's. That is the element of punk that should never really be lost on anyone is it's about going against the status quo and telling you the status isn't quo. Yeah. Like this ain't good and saying how fucked up our pol- our political system is and calling out bullshit when you see bullshit. And that's yeah. exactly what they did. I think it's pretty funny that we that we're saying that now, considering Green Day just released a single with a sample from a um, convicted pedophile. child molester. Yeah. And they're supposed to be the punk band and everyone else is being real punk about it and being like, no, you no. probably shouldn't have fucking sampled no. it. I don't I care. Get... I don't care if you came out after you released it and said, oh, he's a pedophile. No, it doesn't work that I way. I don't care if you're giving the money to Rain. You could just put out a single that doesn't sample a pedophile's yeah, music. You could have done that. Too. Maybe you should have done that first. Yeah. But there's, I mean, that's the thing about OG Punk, too. And is that they're not doing it for money. They're not, they're genuinely sitting around being like, fuck this. This is bullshit. Yeah, they're not doing it for money. They're doing it because they have something to say and they want people to fucking listen to it. Yeah. And that might have been even been half of Death's problem is that they were coming out and saying real things. That are honest and a harsh look at the world and nobody wanted to see it that way. Well, they were coming out and saying these harsh truths as black men. Yeah. And racism had a big hand in the reason why they were not as big as they should have been. What? In America? <laughs> no. I feel like this is a theme. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we don't laugh, we cry, guys. <laughs> Live, laugh, cry, tears of sorrow because the world sucks. Yeah, pretty much. I need that on a plaque. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, their single sold was selling on eBay for eight hundred bucks a pop. That's amazing. Fast forward eight years, Don Schwank, I think it's Swank, Schwank, Swank, Schwank, 
A musician and old friend of the Hackneys gave copies of the Politicians in My Eyes single to a guy that owned a record store in Detroit. At the same time, Chunklet Magazine wrote a... S- <laughs> Chunklet. <laughs> I was like, did you... Is that... No, it's, what? it's Chunklet. Chunklet what? Magazine. I'm sorry, what? Chunklet. <laughs> Chunklet? Which just makes me think of like a really small, fat child. Yeah. <laughs> called Chunklet. Oh, Chunklet, aren't you? Oh my God, you name a pig that. Oh, that's cute. Chunklet. Chunklet. Oh, Chunklet the teacup pig. Oh. You're welcome, teacup pig owners. There you go. Got your next Instagram star. <laughs> But Chunklet Magazine wrote a snippet about the band and posted the two songs on the death single onto their website. Now anyone with an internet connection could hear death's music, and people were definitely listening. They were clearly way before their time. Very much. Too much before their time, unfortunately. (laughs) Bobby and Dennis were living their lives as normal, raising kids and working normal jobs in Vermont. Then Bobby Like you do. Like you do in Vermont. <laughs> in Vermont. Then Bobby's son Julian moved to Northern California. Oh. His roommate would go to these rare vinyl record listening parties, which I didn't know was a thing, but sounds kind of boring, but oh. I don't know. It sounds kind of fun if you're at a bar and you get some beers. And you're like, if you're at a bar, yeah. But isn't this, that technically what we do at Rare Form on Mondays? But that's not really just like going to somebody's house to have a record listening party fair enough you know yeah there's a difference there's a difference but she came home one night going on and on to julian about this record she heard by a band called death oh my god julian was really interested and googled the band (gasps) he came across the chunklet magazine article he listened to the song clips and thought hey that sounds exactly like my dad's voice then he read the article that described three black boys from detroit named hackney and he thought yep that's my dad. Oh my god, he didn't know that he was didn't his know. dad. He did not know. So Julian called up Bobby Sr. and was like, why didn't you tell me about this? That's crazy. And Bobby Sr. thought that, Bobby. I'm Thank sorry. you. The whole episode, <laughs> like I've been holding back. Bobby. Bobby. Bobby Sr. thought that it just wasn't important. They didn't see much success at all, so why bother mentioning it? Oh my god. And Bobby and Dennis's kids couldn't believe that their dad and uncles were in this punk band before punk was even punk, and people were just now finding out about it and losing their shit over it. Bobby Jr.'s... Bobby! Bobby! I can't say it. I can't (laughs) say it normal now. Bobby Jr.'s friend wrote a blog post about the whole situation, which circulated around punk websites. It eventually caught the attention of Drag City Records, who wanted to put out a whole death album. Wow. Thankfully, Bobby still had the master tapes. Yeah. Because David gave them to him. Oh, my God. They were just sitting up in his attic, gathering dust. They That's were doing crazy. nothing with them. On February 17th, 2009, 36 years after it was originally recorded, Drag City released death's very first album called... For the whole world to see. Wow. To promote the album, Bobby's sons, Bobby Jr., Julian, and Urian, put together a band to cover death songs and play them live. They called the band Rough Francis, a loving tribute to their Uncle David. Since then, Drag City Records has released three more death albums, the most recent having been released in 2015. Hmm. Bobby and Dennis got back together to perform shows as death with Lambspread member Bobby Duncan on guitar. 
In 2019, they embarked on a tour celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the release of For the Whole World to See. Bobby's sons continue playing shows as Rough Francis, and as far as I can tell, they are still playing shows. That's awesome! Yeah, so they just toured last year, so they're still doing it. Right, and now that the legacy continues with the sons, it's why stop? Yeah. That's crazy. Over 45 years later, people finally know who death is. Before bad brains and before all the white boys wearing leather jackets and snarls, death was playing proto-punk in their bedroom. It's infuriating that such an influential band was relegated to obscurity because no one could see beyond their name or the color of their skin. Whether it was Detroit or Burlington, racism played a factor in how the audience viewed the band every at every turn. Yeah. In all honesty, it probably still does. They need to be recognized for their vision and their contributions to punk. If we don't, then we are exactly where we were over 45 years ago. And more people need to know about these guys. Like, credit to Bad Brains for being who they were. Oh, yeah. And such an influential um, band all around. Not Definitely. just for punk, but in rock music in general. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, but people can't say that they were the first all-black punk band. They weren't. Death was. And But but most people just don't even know that they weren't. Right. And, and people more people need to know about Death. Yeah. They really do. I'm really glad... That the documentary was released, but I Same. wish it got a wider release because if it did, then maybe more people would be. It needs to be on Netflix. It needs to be on yeah. Hulu. It needs to be on all the fucking streamings because you're right. This is such an influential band. And now that I've listened to their music, their music is killer. It is. This music is fantastic. I will totally love to pick up a vinyl of this. And they're talented. They have themes that still stick today. And they were so ahead of their time. Yeah. And they're insanely ahead of their time. And they're incredibly grateful for all of the people that do recognize them. Like they never really intended. They they were never upset that nobody knew who they were. They were just like, no, we're just going to get on with our lives because that was just, you know, we could have had success and we didn't. But whatever. The fact that they didn't even tell their kids that they were in a fucking band and almost had a record deal and all this shit. And they didn't even tell their fucking kids. And then for their kids to discover, like, 18, 20 years into their lives, my dad was in one of the first fucking punk bands. Yeah. Ever. Ever. And it has this huge resurgence. And it has this huge influence. And it's such good music. It's not bullshit. Yeah. It's just, like, can you imagine discovering your parents did something that amazing? Yeah. It's like discovering my dad was in like one of the most innovative and influential bands to ever exist, and he just didn't, didn't really bother you. to mention. Yeah. Oh, we could have success, but we didn't. It's fine. Well, and I guess the question does come up like, <laughs> it's so crazy because they clearly at the time didn't have too much of an influence. Right. And they also, though, weren't getting too much of an influence from outside sources because again in the early 70s you're not really going to hear the sex pistols or whatever other bands so they're in the midwest just making up punk music on their own yeah and it's kind of weird to think about it in that aspect of anybody could have done this Mm -hmm. anybody who was inspired and motivated and i guess you can still stand by that today if you're inspired and motivated fucking hone your craft and see what you can do because who knows what you'll discover? And also, don't listen to the 
any anybody who's trying to tell you that what you're doing isn't worth it. Oh my god! Because like all their neighbors were like, "Why are you making this music?" And they were like, "Cause we fucking love it, and we're gonna do it." Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. They really need to have uh, a little more notoriety than they do now. Yeah, seriously. Go ahead. Go to Spotify. They don't even have fucking plays on Spotify. They don't even have a million plays on Spotify. That's pathetic. Guys. <laughs> Not because of them, but because of you people. Fucking listen to them. Because of us. Guys, we're them. fucking this up. Yeah. We need to fix this. Yeah. They are... They're. I mean, we've played you some of their music because we figured... Here you go. If it sounds good to you, go dig them out. They're very good. It's worth your time. But also, I kind of just want to go hang around Burlington and like find them and be like, "Yo, can we hang out?" Because well, like I will one hundred percent be your friends. They are. They if just you will seem let me. like the sweetest, nicest people. They probably are, and just genuinely fucking happy to be alive. And frankly, I need more people like that. Yes, in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I need more people who are just like, "Hey, what's up?" This You're just fun. fucking happy to be here. All right. Sure. But also, I'm going to keep up with both Death and Rough Francis to see if they're playing any shows up there soon, because I will 100% take a day off of work and fucking go see them. A, Burlington. B, great music. Here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Here for it. Nice. That was an awesome fucking story. Yeah. I was super into that. (laughs) I really need to go watch the documentary now. It's very good. Definitely get that seven-day free trial. (laughs) For that documentary. (laughs) For that documentary. Get on it, uh, bitches. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. It was was a very good documentary. Nice. All right. Well, you kids got your homeworks for you. Yeah, go listen to some death. Listen to some death, watch a documentary, and just support your local punk bands, guys. Yeah. Also, like... Band names don't mean nothing, and uh, color your skin don't mean skin nothing. Skin tone so mean nothing. Fucking just embrace good music. Go fuck yourself if you're not gonna. <laughs> Guys, it's 2020. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, come on. Get get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what are we doing? But thank you guys so much for listening. We love you and appreciate you. <laughs> you know. Come back next week for more, for another very obscure artist. Oh, yeah. But next week's going to be real fun, I guess. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, much like this episode was interesting. Yeah, honestly, like, I like that we're covering some more obscure people. Yeah. Because these people need their due. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, wow. Yeah, this next artist we're going to talk about next week needs their fucking due. And he has a very interesting story, and I am very excited to learn about it. It's very interesting, and wow, like, such an influence. <laughs> so for a second week in a row, we're hyping up this episode. We're hyping it up. I I like hyping up the lesser knowns, though, because I feel like they don't get as much love, and they fucking should. Yeah, definitely. Come on, guys. Come back next week for that. But until then, if there's any obscure artists that we've covered that you haven't listened to yet go fucking hit up our website www.rockcandypodcast.com and over there you can come on an episode send us an email you can go get all the links to our social meds that we are terrible at like instagram (laughs) and facebook and twitter we're not terrible we're getting better it's it's a crapshoot yeah 
<laughs> we just, guys, we don't like social media in general. But like the days when we don't have to post, we don't fucking post. Honestly, you yeah. Because like we don't even post on our actual social media, so. We're busy, guys. I just don't like the internet. It's a toxic, terrible place. I just want to yeah. tell you guys about artists and then I want to go take a nap <laughs> and drink beer. Drink beer and take a nap. Yeah, that's my life right now. And I'm fine with that. And please go hit up our network, the Pantheon mm-hmm. Podcast Network, full of amazing shows, the MTV of podcast networks. It's all music, all time, baby. Yeah. Go get that. It's great. Got whatever you want. Indeed. You can leave us a review, too. That would be nice. We just got a nice review. A very nice review. And don't know your actual name, but I recognize your name from Instagram. So thanks. Yes. Sleepy Cheeny. I think that's it. Sleepy Cheeny. We're the worst. I don't know. We're actually the worst. But no, yes. And we love positive reviews. Eh, shit. If you're going to leave us a negative review, we'll laugh at that, too. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But we do love positive reviews. So thank you so much for that. (laughs) Yeah, that was very nice. It was quite nice. Uh, But also, if you want some uh, extra stuff. Extra shit. Like bonus episodes and some swag. Swag, 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 swag. (laughs) And you can give us some of your money. Money, please. At patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. Get some good shit if you give us some of your hard-earned cash. Yep. And then at the end of the month, you'll get a sweet bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Talk about the music news in the month, usually. We, we got some buttons and some coasters and some Heck stickers. Yeah. Got great stuff for you guys. And a nice little shout out. Yeah, and always a shout out. And our eternal love. Don't you want that? <laughs> That's what you really feel deep inside the cockles of your heart. Yeah. yeah. If you want us to keep giving you that good, good content and be able to afford... Headphones? Headphones. Or like documentaries and books. And a new microphone cable. Yeah, this one's breaking. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, we is, need a new microphone cable. This is a this is a racket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh all of your money goes towards the podcast and towards making us better podcasters. So thank yes. you so much to everyone who does donate to us. Yeah. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. So yeah. Until next week. Uh, you guys can hold on tight, and we'll have some more sweet, sweet content for you. Until then, why don't you party on Ashley? Party on Maggie? And party on uh, you crazy kids out there. Death! What? In America? <laughs> no. no.